welcome to the NOLA Drink Show. Join us as we explore the world of drink, food, and culture in New Orleans and beyond. Here's your host, Brian Diaz. All right, everybody, welcome to the program. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me on the NOLA Drink Show. Friends, living in a post-tales of the cocktail world. That's right. Made it through alive and smiling. But in all seriousness, it wasn't actually, it was just a great event. Congratulations to the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation team. They did a great job. I think people were really happy. A lot of great events, great information, great seminars. It's always great to see friends old and new. And uh, yeah, looking forward to next year. Not ready for next year because, of course, that takes about the whole year to be ready for it. So I'm looking forward to it. But right about when 2024 Tales rolls around, I'll be ready for it. It takes that amount of time, right? There you go. Got a really good show coming up for you here, friends. Uh, We are, well, speaking of Tales of the Cocktail, we are chatting with the guys, the Brain Trust, behind the New Orleans Spirits Competition. And that process, that event was sponsored by Tales, and uh, they helped me put the show together. It's a really interesting competition, and what it does, we'll get into this with the guys, and you know who these guys are, most of you anyway, who know who these guys are. I'll tell you a little bit about them, and then, of course, during the featured interview, they will tell you more about themselves also, but there's a preliminary round that happened before Tales, and then the uh, final judging, as well as the awards presentations, took place during Tales of the Cocktail. We did something a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, we taped the first two segments prior to Tales and give you a little bit more uh, during those conversations, a little bit more about the background of the event, its history, uh, who the judges are, kind of how things went down in the preliminary rounds. And then what we did is we convened at Tales. And this was after the winners were announced. And we touch on, the, uh, there's a lot of winners, all right? There's a huge list. If you go to noladrinks.com, see our show notes, there's a link to the awards there. You can also go to to the NOLA, NOLA, what is it, excuse me, NOLASpiritsComp.com, and you'll see a link right there at the top, Awards 23, where you can see the full list. But we touch on some of the top dogs who came away with awards, let you know a bit about that stuff, and just uh, also some chat chatting about the spirits industry, looking forward to the 2024 competition, stuff like that. So who are the guests? Andrew Faulkner, otherwise known as Drew. Drew is the managing partner of the New Orleans Spirits Competition. And uh, Drew's got all kinds of stuff going on. A long history in the industry. He was uh, at the American Distilling Institute for 14 years. Uh, he's written extensively. Uh, he's often cited uh, as a spirits expert. Uh, he's done stuff with CNN Business, Artisan Spirit, American Whiskey. Uh, he's edited stuff. Drew's got a tremendous background in all this, so he's the right guy to be running the competition. Uh, the head judge is a name that a lot of you will also know, Wayne Curtis. And Wayne, of course, is the noted cocktail author, spends half his time up in the Northeast. Smart man when the weather's terrible down here in New Orleans, and the rest of the time he's down here in New Orleans when the weather is not terrible. But uh, Wayne, among all kinds of other things, of course, he's written for the Daily Beast, uh, done stuff for the American Craft Spirits Association. He's written for the Atlantic Magazine, also published a great book called And a Bottle of Rum, A History of the New World in 10 cocktails so there's wayne for you and then uh, matthew sharp and matt is the director of operations for the new orleans spirits competition Uh, matt's got a ton of experience in the hospitality industry he also worked for the american distilling institute uh, and he's kind of the guy who really kind of holds he's the glue guy is kind of what i gathered uh, making sure the back room runs great and all that stuff and so those are our guests and again they'll tell you a little bit more about themselves when we chat and we learn more about the competition Uh, friends i'll let you know at the end of the show when i close things out about a couple shows to be on the lookout for 
coming down the pike. Hey, quick correction before we take a break here. Just uh, misspoke briefly uh, in the second segment with these guys in the featured inter- interview, excuse me, the one after the next one. I think I said something about like being a post-tails. And as a matter of fact, as I already mentioned, the first two are pre-tails. And then the third one that we did with them was during tails. So just wanted to clarify that, you know, all that time warp stuff and let you know accurately when we were talking. Brief break. Come on back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining us on the NOLA Drink Show. And as you know, we are talking about the New Orleans Spirit Competition. And also, as you know, I'm joined by Drew Faulkner, Wayne Curtis, and Matthew Sharp. And we heard all about those guys at the top of the show. And I'm really excited to bring you this program. And uh, these are the minds, the, the genius behind what is the NOLA Spirits Competition coming up. And it's going to be really a lot of fun. And you guys are doing some really cool stuff. And uh, Drew, I think I'll throw it to you first if it's cool. Uh, tell us just, you know, tell us about the competition and its, its history and how we came to be where we are with it today. Well, it's something that I got kind of dragged into kicking and screaming. Um, I was working for the American Distilling Institute and, uh, it was in the early days of ADI and there was, uh, they decided to throw a, a rum judging at the annual conference. And I, uh, this was the day that everybody did the bus tour and I wanted to go on the bus tour. I want to go see distilleries in Kentucky. And it's like, no, Drew, you have to stay and you have to photograph this judging thing. And so every year while everybody was out visiting all the big distilleries of Kentucky on the bus tour. I was, or every year, um, I would be back at uh, Huber Starlight Distillery watching them judge and taking photographs. And then I made the mistake one year we were coming into the conference and um, Bill Owens and Penn Jensen kept saying that there was going to be a judging but they weren't asking for submissions. Nobody was coordinating it. I was like, what about this? How come you're advertising it? Uh, who's going to run it? And it's, I asked one too many times and he said, <laughs> you are. <laughs> and from there, I started doing a horrible job of um, running the ADI judging and learning from my mistakes and uh, then uh, managed to bring it under control the, the next year and managed um, a few years later, we uh, had this um, volunteer extraordinaire named Matt Sharp, and he came in and uh, really enjoyed having him working with us, bringing order to the back room. And there was a certain point when ADI split with what was then the American Craft Distillers Association, now the American Craft Spirits Association, and Matt with, with them to start their judging program. So um, when I uh, left from ADI, he was the first person I was like, hey, you want to start a judging program? You want to you, you see if, if Tales of the Cocktail wanted to do it? And I um, started poking around about uh, running a judging program with Tales of the Cocktail. And uh, I, I needed to call somebody to get some inside information. And uh, I gave a phone call to Wayne Curtis. And he said, well, you know. A few years back, Neil Bodenheimer came to me and said, uh, wouldn't it be nice to have a judging program? And I said, bingo. And then we started giving it shape and um, launched it last year. Okay, great. 
So you mentioned something really interesting, Drew, uh, and I'll, Matt, I'll get to you and, and Wayne in just a second. As it evolved, you said learning sort of from your mistakes. So well, we're going to talk about the structure of the whole thing in, in just a little bit. But what were some of the like the lumps that you took and, and how did this, you know, what, what did you find out? I'm assuming you were modeling it on other things that were out there. But, you know, what, what did you learn along the way? Yeah, you know, I had I had gotten a lot of good tips from Ted Huber, who runs Huber Starlight Distillery, and he had been in attendance at a lot of um, wine tastings. But you know, just um, there were there were simple things, precautions to take to keep brand names secret that uh, uh, I had to get more sophisticated at, and learning. I think the big thing was to um, not have too many judges at one table at one time because it slows everything down and um, not to have too many spirits in one flight because it slows everything down. You, you have a limited amount of time. You want to give every one of these spirits the, the best evaluation possible, but you also have limited resources. You can't keep all these judges for a week and go through everything with every judge. So it was learning to streamline the process, um, learning really how important the back room is in, in running the process. Um, Okay. Those kind of things. Well, and let me throw that to Matt then, because it sounds like, Matt, you were the guy that came in and uh, took over the back room, according to what Drew said. So how, how did you how did you come into this? And then what, what did you take on your shoulders? Um, I was a culinary student in 2009, and uh, there was a conference in town at Hangar 1 in San Francisco where I was going to school. And it was ADI's annual conference. And um, somehow managed to get an internship into that one. So I was the guy who was out uh, driving people around and hanging out on buses while Drew was yelling at people to make sure that the, the actual spirits were getting poured properly and sampled out with the judges. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I went away from that and, you know, lived my life for a couple of years and then uh, thought about it again and thought, hey, uh, it'd be kind of cool if I did this again. And I uh, reached out to, to Bill and they – said yeah we need interns and it happened to be in portland and i live in oregon so that was a, a really convenient situation just drove to portland and hung out for uh, a couple of days and uh that was a, a fun year <laughs> learned a lot of interesting things that year especially um and they never let me go since that's basically what it amounted to okay um and then uh yeah and here we are now uh, having learned all sorts of different things and uh made mistakes and had fun in the process got it well, wait, that that, that Portland year, that was a really fun year. We had Dave Pickerel with us and uh, Ted Huber in the back room again. And we had this table of French judges and everybody wanted to hear their conversation. It was it was Alexander Gabriel of uh, Maison Ferrand, uh, Hubert Germain Robon of, of Germain Robon and Flavien Desoblan of the Brandy Library, and we switched out the fourth chair once, but um, when they started talking about the flights afterwards, it's like Dave Pickerel would be like, oh, the French people are talking, and he'd run into the room and he'd sit down. He said, I learned so much when those guys talk about spirits. And, you know, when you find out that that Dave Pickerel is learning something from the judges, then you go, oh, yeah, this really is something interesting going on here, isn't it? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, really cool. Mm-hmm. Wayne, so in, in your case, and so I mean, and, and Drew teed this up a little bit, how he reached out to you. Um, but tell us a little bit more, elaborate on, on your involvement. And then as, as head judge, what does that mean exactly? 
Sure. I, uh, yeah, I've been involved with Tales of the Cocktail since, well, involved, attending Tales of the Cocktail since 2005. <laughs> uh, I started, I started out, uh, actually before I moved to New Orleans, came to Tales of the Cocktail, ended up moving to New Orleans a year later. Not, it's not unrelated. Uh, but then I had been a spirits writer. Uh, in 2005, my book came out uh, on the history of rum. And then I started covering a lot more spirits for different magazines and publications like the Atlantic Monthly and the Daily Beast. And I started doing some judging. And I judged for both American Distilling Institute and American Craft Spirits Association for a number of uh, years, which is how I got to meet Drew and Matt. Uh, and then, yeah, like as Drew said, Neil, when Neil um, took over Tales of the Cocktail uh, with uh, Solomon's, he was wondering why don't we have a, a spirits judging competition because it had been around for what, about 15, 16 years at that point, but they didn't have one. Uh, I, so we, you know, we, the idea just started Germany. It took a couple of years for us to find a, a team to do it because there are a lot of logistics involved. I'm on the writing and judging side, not on the backroom side, and I had no idea how to go deal with the backroom. So when Drew approached me, it was like, oh, this makes sense. Uh, we can combine our forces and, and put up something uh, really solid and lasting. We hope, we hope this will go, you know, outlast all of us to create this, this spirit competition. Uh, the head judge, his job is to, well, first job is to stay out of the back room. I'm not allowed <laughs> to go where all the bottles are and see them before the judging takes place. So it's a, it's a blind competition. When it, if a judge uh, at a table has a question, I, I'll answer it as best as I can, but I, I don't have any inside information about what products they're, they are sipping when they're sipping. So that's the, the first rule. Second, second part of the competition is just basically the care and feeding of judges and, and soliciting judges, trying to find out who is going to be best at each of the tables for each of the panels that we have. Uh, all three of us work on that. We all have contacts in the industry. We try to set up the tables uh, such that there's a, a, a balance there. Because this is Tales of the Cocktail, which is a bartender-forward event, and it attracts bartenders. Bartenders are interested in what's coming out. We're skewed a little bit towards bartenders on our judging panel. We, we try to get top names uh, in on that. Uh, so each table, each panel of four will typically have two uh, bartenders, and then we like to have one distiller, someone who's involved in the production of uh, liquor, and then we have someone which is basically a wild card. It might be a distributor, it might be a retailer, it might be a writer, uh, a, a spirits writer on that to balance things out. But we found that works out well. The, the judges sort of in, in, can help dis, uh, instruct the distillers on what they're looking for, and the distillers have a vast source of knowledge uh, and can talk about you know, f flaws in the distillate that the bartenders might not understand where that came from. So it's, it's, they tend to be a, sort of small seminars as well. Uh, people talking amongst one another as they're doing the judging. So everybody's learning from each other. And I think we got an interesting result out of that, um, depending on where people are coming from. Thanks, Wayne. I, you know, that's, you raise an interesting point, having, having personally been involved in a lot of wine competitions and cocktail competitions uh, myself, it, I always appreciate the camaraderie that comes with that, and I appreciate the interaction. You know, sometimes I know you guys all know this, that when you're asked to judge something or evaluate something in isolation, it's a whole lot different than when you can sit there and, and trade ideas and, and talk about it with other folks. And I think the result ends up being more positive just in that regard. But let me, let me go ahead, Wayne, please. 
I was going to talk a little bit about the process. Uh, yeah, I'm jumping ahead on that because that that sort of relates to that. How we do the judging is that this this the flights are brought out. It be typically six spirits placed in front of a judge, and these are unmarked except for labels on them with a code on them, which correspond to their uh, spreadsheet that they're putting the information in on. And for the first 10, 15 minutes or so, they just go through them quietly and sip and, and assess and evaluate and, and make uh, tasting notes, and then they come up with a score for each of them without communicating with the other judges at the table. We specifically tell them no eye rolling, no gagging, no coughs, <laughs> nothing to indicate what they're thinking about the uh, spirits they're tasting. Once they've submitted their scores, then they talk. Then they each go around the table. They reveal their scores. This was a 92. Someone might say this was an 85. And then they'll sort of discuss what they liked, what they didn't like, and uh, go around and they they educate each other that way. And and that's where the interesting part comes with the distiller saying, oh, there was a – I think that they had a flaw in fermentation here. And a bartender might say, there's no way I could use this in a gin and tonic because it's too floral. So they have different perspectives that they come to with that. So there's a discussion part, but it's also a silent uh, assessment part. And that's so that there's no, you know, some judges are a little more forthright and open than others. And we don't want them influencing the results of the, their peers uh, and, you know, while they're doing the quiet judging. So, so, so after that portion, then are they allowed to go back and recalibrate their scores? Uh, or is it once they've submitted, they've submitted them? They submitted them, but there is a possibility uh, if uh, something is on the cusp, say it scores an 89, which is just a, 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 either a silver but close to a gold. If we have, let's say, three people who are very strongly in favor of it being a gold, they think it's really worth of a gold, they can work with the, the one who thinks it's lesser and to see if they can convince them to come up to bump it up into a gold. So there are some cusp experiences like that, but for the most part, the scores are set once they're, they're done for the first in the first round. Gotcha. And also, also the conversation happens before they submit the scores. So they'll do, they'll do their score. Then they'll all talk and, and maybe will somebody will say like, Oh, I didn't get that smell of wet dog. You're right. You're right. Oh, I'm sorry that I was liking this before I before I had that pointed out to me or, you know, whatever. Maybe that it'll be something really positive, like, wow, that is really exceptional. I'm glad you pointed that out. In fact, our uh, our, our whiskey of the year last year was one that was in danger of getting ignored in the in the flight. And one of the judges kind of spoke up and said, really, I mean, guys, have you really taken a look at glass number four? This one's really, really elegant. I think you should all give it a another consideration. This this is and um, they ended up bumping it up to a uh, gold. And then in the grand panel, it became the whiskey of the year. So the discussion is really important and it can bump spirits either up or down. Okay. And in fact, the uh, the format we're taking this year is with the final round in New Orleans is is a product of listening to these discussions. It's partly like I mentioned earlier, Dave Pickerel rushing into the room to hear these cognac experts talk about brandies. And uh, partly one year uh, we were in Seattle and we had a, a table with Audrey Saunders, Francis Schott, Robert Hess. And Dave Wondrich, and they were talking about these gins at such a high level. And Audrey exclaimed that, gosh, it's just a shame that, that nobody else can, can taste along with us and hear these conversations. And that just, bing, 
set off a light bulb in my head and I said, okay, I want to find a way to take this judging public and to, to give the, you know, to give a wider audience clues into why the judges make decisions that they make regarding certain spirits. Okay, great. And actually that's something later on in the show I want to get to you guys uh, with and about, about how it will connect, you know, to consumers and, and just uh, and industry professionals. But Matt, let me ask you this question. Uh, so we, we mentioned, you guys just mentioned that the finals are in New Orleans. However, uh, other stuff has gone on leading up to all this. Can you tell us uh, just sort of a bit about the format and how that worked around the country before leading us here to Tales of the Cocktail? Well, um, what we wanted to do was make sure that we were all ready to go for NOLA. Uh, last year, we did it all on site right before the event, and that was an adventure, to say the least. <laughs> um, it was the week before, so it was, it was like essentially a two-week Tales of the Cocktail experience, and that meant that uh, it was there was a lot of rushing around, and there was it, we, it didn't do Tales justice, really, for us. And even for the judging itself, we had to figure out ways to make sure that everything was presentable. And so there was like essentially three days where we just, we were just doing wrap up stuff during tales. Um, so we wanted to make sure to get the preliminary stuff out of the way. Um, we wanted to make sure to give it time so that we could actually get, uh, like metals ready to go rather than just doing it on the fly. We wanted to make sure that this was giving the attention it needed. Um, and that was what we took care of with our preliminary round. Um, so that was the, the bottle, the receiving of the entries, uh, the bottle sortation, uh, flatting and the judging itself, and then it allowed us to actually have these four categories uh, appear in a couple of weeks at Tales of the Cocktail, which is really cool. Okay. And actually, so please, and, and any of you guys, feel free to talk about this, and Matt, if you want to start, since you mentioned it. So what? How, how do we have this broken down? What are the categories, and how did you guys come up with that structure? Because obviously there would be different ways to break these down. You could have a million categories. You could have a small number of categories. How did you come to what you have, and, and what is the structure in that regard? Well, it just grew organically. Uh, I mean, we've got all these classes. We have all these these beautiful different types of spirits that are just unique and uh, individual and historically, you know, these things that people care a lot about. And uh, that, that gave us our class structure. You've got, you know, whiskeys and gins and vodkas and such as that. Uh, but then we start getting a little bit more granular. It turns into there's just these natural groups that sort of accrete together. So you can have apples to apples. You have flavored vodkas against flavored vodkas. Uh, you have rye whiskey against rye whiskey and such as that. And then it gets even more granular until it stops making sense. I mean, we, we could get down and have 80,000 categories of one spirit, right. which would be silly because then there's really nothing to judge against. And if we're putting all these things out there just in a shotgun approach and just telling people to put them in their mouths, so these individual things, at which point it gets kind of silly to say, this is the best individually barrel finished in uh, used wine cask <laughs> rye that was between two and three years and then was aged specifically between these latitudes. That kind of stuff seems silly. Uh, so we, we take a step back from that kind of stuff and make sure that uh, everything is put together with like an apples to apples approach. So, but at the same time too, stressing that it's not a horse race. It's not these spirits against each other. It's just they're judged against their own merits together in the same sort of, uh, at least categorization. So, so go ahead, um, please. like Irish whiskeys was, had a really strong showing this year. So we had a number of Irish whiskeys that we can actually break down into these types of Irish whiskeys, that kind of thing. So, so you guys like with, with something, say like liqueurs or, or cordials, how are we handling those? 
because I know we've talked about like agave, we've talked about rum uh, and, and some of those, but, you know, obviously with liqueurs. And I know, Matt, you were just talking about this, you know, we could get very gr- granular with, you know, something made only by monks as its own category. But how do we uh, how do we do, we'll say something like liqueurs? And there's such a big world of that out there. There is. Um, and then we start getting into like with liqueurs of like, is it a fruit infusion? Uh, is this something that was fermented all the way across? Uh, we can look at the base commodities. Uh, we can look at the processes that go into it. Are they traditional processes? And so, um, again, it, you just have to stop where it makes sense. Like the, the, the best possible place that allows the individual spirits to show the best. Like where so that it's not a situation where you're going to have something that is infused with horseradish against something that is infused uh, with the pawpaw fruit. Even though if they were both sweetened as liqueurs, I mean, those technically would both be under that same sort of class and category. But so it, it turns into a part where we sort of separate them out just a little bit to make sure that you can have everything has a chance to sort of shine under its own merits. Okay. Very good. Uh, do you guys want to add anything to that before we take a, a quick break? Anything in particular, Wayne or Drew, about the structure and just kind of where it's at? I mean, I, w- I would just say, you know, we, we you know, the ca- the classes of spirits are kind of growing organically as, as time goes along. Um, you know, we see uh, we introduced RTDs this year. Um, we s- kind of felt we ought to last year, but we weren't ready for them. And there's things like um, uh, no one low alcohol spirits that are uh, coming along that that deserve recognition because they belong in the bar world and and deserve recognition at tales of the cocktail um and you know as as far as parsing out you know those are classes like the big groupings but inside the big groupings the categories parsing them out becomes more and more complicated as as particularly as whiskey makers uh, find new barrel finishes to apply or, you know, the, the creativity right now in distilled spirits is off the charts. And every year you see something that you've never seen before. So, uh, and, and this yeah. is, and we should add to, uh, before we take a quick break here, you guys, this is, this is global. This isn't just domestic production stuff here in the U S. So when we Correct. start talking about that, it is a huge world of what is out there. And as I'm sure you guys know, it's like every time you turn around, there's some interesting liqueur that's all of a sudden on the market that you learn has been made for 200 years or 150 years, maybe not 200, but 150 years. And you're like, well, I'd never heard of that before. So it's, it's a lot for you guys yeah. to tackle. Go ahead, Drew, please. Yeah. And we kind of, we stop a category at, um, uh, three. If there's any fewer than three of any particular, uh, kind of, uh, type of, of spirit, well, well, it doesn't quite make a category that we can judge at, uh, against anything. So, you know, ideally we want to be up around a dozen or, or two dozen spirits to make a category so that best of category is something really strong and, and, and says, yeah, this is the best rye whiskey finished in a port cask if we get that many rye whiskeys finished in a port cask got it this this actually explains why i did not see a single entry malort category so i appreciate you clearing that up true uh let's do this yeah yeah i mean when when you when you see the results come out there may be there may be a best of class you know like this kind of whiskey smoked or best of category excuse me this kind of whiskey smoked but then there's no best of category that for that same kind of whiskey unsmoked. And that may be because there weren't enough unsmoked entries for us to call it a category. Got it. Cool. 
Let's do this, you guys. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back after a brief musical interlude, and uh, we're going to talk about who some of the judges are. We're going to talk about how this has gone down in New Orleans. You all are hearing this after it happened, and what we're planning is that we'll get with these three guys at Tails and get some of their, uh, as Drew put it, post-mortem thoughts, and we'll uh, share who the winners are as well later, too. Come on back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me on the NOLA Drink Show, friends, this time around. Uh, we're taping this particular portion, as you know, of the show, Post Tales. I always joke, you guys always joke with uh, like Wondrich and, and uh, Barry and stuff, Jeff Barry, when they're on <laughs> with mine, because the I usually tape a show with them. It's one of the show, only shows that I usually tape during Tales, and just because I like to have those two guys in the room together, and we always say this might be a posthumous show, because by the time people hear it, we may no longer be around. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that same caveat out here to listeners, too, that you're, you're, this is being taped now. You know, we'll see you on the other side <laughs> when people are listening. <laughs> I hope. I hope, exactly. Fingers crossed. Well, Wayne, uh, back to you here on this as head judge, and we, we, you, you talked about selecting a range of judges from from different professions and different perspectives but let's hang some names on this because you guys have put together you know you had your preliminary round judges and then you have your judges here in new orleans so maybe highlight some of the folks and if you don't mind throwing in there too when we get to new orleans or we have done this when people are hearing it uh how's that going to work or how did that work okay sure uh now we've got uh well you know this is our second year and we've got had a great crew both in the preliminary round of judging. We've got a great crew that's going to be in New Orleans to, for doing the final round of judging. Uh, some of the folks we've got for uh, New Orleans are Nicole Austin, who's with Cascade Hollow, uh, George Dickel out of Tennessee, distiller. Uh, Julio Cabrera, uh, who runs uh, uh, an amazing Cuban bar out of Miami. We've got Jeff Barry's on a panel. Ian Burrell, the rum ambassador from uh, London. Alex Day, uh, who started Death & Co. and has been involved with those projects. Anu Apte from Seattle with Rob Roy. Uh, Dale DeGroff from New York, who needs no introduction. Emma Jansen uh, will be on the Agave panel. She's uh, written a book on Agave, uh, along with uh, Dan Farber, who is also going to be on the Agave panel, a uh, distiller out of California. Neil Bodenheimer will be joining us, uh, taking some time off from... <laughs> from running around and trying to keep things underway. And also Abigail Gullo uh, is going to be on our uh, gin panel. Who a lot of, I think, New Orleans people know her from her various stints uh, here and there currently at, at LOA. So we've got a, a, a great crew. That's, and that's the, the New Orleans group. We had uh, you know equally great crew up in, uh, our, during our first round of judging uh, in June, uh, Bridget Alpert, uh, from a, a distributor who has an incredible palate. Uh, Lee Hedgeman, Tracy Franklin, Elaine Duff, uh, David Defoe, who uh, runs the Flavoring House in Louisville, is a really super talented uh, taster. Uh, Molly Wellman, bartender and bar manager, bar owner from uh, Cincinnati. Uh, Jeffrey Wilson from here in uh, New Orleans, along with uh, Souther Teague from New York and Matt Rowley from San Diego. That's just some of the names of the, the folks that we had. It is a, it is a an all star all star cast. So 
we're, we're, we're very pleased with them. They, uh, and uh, if any of them are listening, thank you for participating. It's been great to have you. Yeah. Uh, come and share your expertise. Yeah, I was looking at the Wayne, looking at the judging page and and what you have from the from the preliminary stuff, and it is like you said with the folks in the finals, it's an all star cast. I was seeing like Nikki Price, who's a friend of mine from Price Imports, and Tiffany Barrier, the drinking coach, and Tiffany's a mm-hmm. good friend, very talented. So you've got a who's who going on here. Peggy No Stevens, who you're probably familiar with from sure. the Bourbon Festival. Yep. Yeah, I know Peggy. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a good choice. Jimmy and another one. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Kelly Rivers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The list is Frankie. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, t- we can we we can just list the whole list. They're all great. But yeah, that's we, it's, it's it's on our website. It's yeah, it's, I was just yeah. Matt, I was just going to say I'll, I'll share that in the show notes if you want to go see the complete list. Uh, you gave us a really good flavor, but it's like every everybody on there deserves to be there. And yeah. you guys have assembled an all star cast. Go ahead, Drew. I was just going to say, every time a name goes out, I'm shuddering over. Whose name have we forgotten? Who have we forgotten to say? Ace Warren Pats. Yeah, Garnett Phillip. <laughs> Paul Clark. Paul, there you oh, go. Paul yeah. Clark. Lynette right, we'll, we'll, Morero. Brad Pondo. Oh, yeah. Now we're almost done. Yeah. So we got like 10 more. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we've forgotten a bunch. Cool. That, that I promise, friends, that list will be linked in the show notes. So go see for yourself with all their lovely headshots and all of st- all that there um how's this going to work you guys in new orleans so we've boiled this down to the finals and on the monday just give us kind of a quick uh rundown of, of what what's the structure and how's this going to go down and then and then tell us about how the winners will have been announced sure the um uh we, yeah we've narrowed and that's four categories of agave gin rum and whiskey we've narrowed it down to six finalists and those six finalists uh, will be brought to New Orleans, the bottles, and we'll have a table of uh, four judges for each of the Each of the panels will be different uh, for each of the spirits. And they will be tasting these live in front of a small audience of about a dozen people uh, in the Barone Room at the Ritz-Carlton. They'll go through, as we do on our regular judging, they'll go through silently first, uh, tasting and sampling and, and scoring and making tasting notes. While the judges are doing that, the audience will be a little boring to just sit there and watch judges sampling and, sampling in silence. But we'll have uh, portions poured out for the audience as well. So each of them will be able to go through and sample uh, and take their own notes and come up with their own assessments quietly. Uh, after that takes place, about 15 minutes, then we're going to have uh, all the judges go through each sample one by one, and, we'll, uh, and they'll give their assessment of them, their evaluation, what they thought of them, and then what their scores were. And then uh, they'll do a ranking of them, their first through sixth, uh, favorite through to le- through least favorite, or the, the, the one that they thought was the highest quality to one that was the least high quality. And that will, uh, those will be tallied up and we'll use that results to determine which is the spirit of the year, which is the gin of the year, which is the rum of the year, which is the whiskey of the year, et cetera. So that's uh, how the process will go. It should take about an hour per spirit. Okay. And then winners will be announced uh, at the Meet the Distillers event, or I should say, because again, they were announced or will have been <laughs> announced. They will have been announced. <laughs> yeah, the, first, the, the first batch will be Tuesday morning. We're going to be announcing the uh, best of class, the, so the rum of the year, whiskey of the year, et cetera, as, long, as well as all of the winners who won gold 
uh, bronze, silver and bronze medals. And then uh, on Friday at Meet the Distiller, we'll be announcing the Distillery of the Year. Uh, this is a new award for us. We've uh, opened this up to anyone who submitted four spirits or more this year was automatically eligible for that award. And the, the distillery that has the highest average score across all their submissions will be the name the Distiller of the Year. Okay. Fantastic. Um, let me ask you guys this, Matt, and I'll throw it to you, Matt, but then Wayne and, and Drew, uh, feel free to, to chime in here. I, I know, and I mentioned this at the top of the show, your profession as, as a brand consultant. And so I know I'm, I'm speculating here a lot of what you do is you're, you're educating the industry on things. And by extension, you're educating the consumer about things. And we were talking about the proliferation of, of spirits and things like that on the planet these days. How do you see this event uh, playing that role to to actually educate in the industry and also just the enthusiast? Well, when we were doing this and setting it all up, um, especially with our backgrounds in, the, in craft for the most part, we were looking at this from a standpoint initially as there isn't a platform that allows craft to shine against legacy brands and the big brands. I mean, the, they use these things as benchmarks. They're, this is the target that some people are trying to hit, but it's never really a chance to sort of see what they do against each other. Um, and consumers like see all these brands on shelves. They see all these beautiful labels and they, they see this almost kind of just, just this proliferation, this arms race of, of all these different kinds of products on the shelf that are designed to, to scream, I'm different somehow. And, and sometimes, like, how are you different or how are you the same with these other things? Um, it's it's our hope that actually seeing something that's, that things that never really truly been judged against each other, um, at least not in this type of format, in this type of process, with this type of view, with uh, expert tasters, particularly bartenders and the focus for tales, is a chance to allow everything to, all the different products to, to sort of just, be compared and weighed in a fashion that they can actually see like these truly are all the same things. Uh, these, these all belong in the same, you know, card of apples, so to speak, to be like judged together at least, you know, in an ancillary fashion. Okay. Now <clears throat> Drew in, in, is the goal here that, because I, let me, let me digress just a little bit. Cause I, I know one of the things and kind of where I was going with this question, you guys, you know, bartenders uh, have always been a gatekeeper of knowledge for me. So, you know, very, and I think like with a lot of us, right, I mean, this is how we get exposed to various new products that are out on the market that I would not have tasted otherwise. Certainly people are tasting in retail spaces. Certainly, you know, people are, there's whatever shows that go on and things like that. But very often it's somebody's made a drink and I say, what is this? And they say, well, here, have a little taste. And then this spurs a conversation and then I learn something. So this is to me, when you start to see something like a judging and winners, this is a way maybe to people give, give people some faith in trying something that they haven't tasted and getting some information out there is, is, I don't want to put words in your mouth through, but is this part of the goal here is to highlight some of these brands and expose people to them, both in, in a professional setting as well as for consumers? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, and coming from the background that, that Matt and I did of, of essentially trade organizations, you know, part of it is providing, um, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, something providing something to the brands, right? So in that, in this case, it's an evaluation of serious professionals that the bartenders trust, and it's presenting these brands to the bartenders going, hey, this is this is something that's quality. You should pay attention to it. And so we're we're trying to provide a value to the brands and at the same time, 
from the, again, the background that Matt and I come from, we're trying to also provide something of value um, to the producers in the sense of feedback. So we, we have the judges take extensive tasting notes and those go back. And one of the reasons that we, uh, prefer to have a producer, a distiller, or a blender on each panel is we feel that we can give them professional insight, not only to how their products will be perceived out in the wild, but also how to improve their process in a way that they may not have considered that um, will make a better product or will make it more viable in the marketplace. Okay, great. Wayne, did you have anything that you wanted to, to add to that? No, I think that both of them covered that covered that well. But that is, I think, of, of all of the competitions, ours is really really trying to focus on providing a route to bartenders. As you mentioned, they are the gatekeepers. Bartenders come to tails. I mean, there's tr- tr- great events. The big big distilleries put on the big producers put on amazing events. Uh, but they're also there looking for something new and that might be under the radar. And we're trying to offer a route to that. So somebody can come in for a, uh, without much of an obligation, submit products. And if they do well in the tasting, it'll be poured at Meet the Distiller. All these bartenders will come through. It's a way of getting the, uh, those who are, may not have the big budgets of the big companies. And not really sure how to get into the market and get in front of bartenders. We're offering a route for that, so I think that's the key thing with our competition. That's great, Wayne, and, and and that's such an important part of what you guys are doing, and an important part of, as you said, that Tails is doing. I think it's such a critical role that Tails plays uh, for the industry in that regard. Let me ask you guys this, because during this portion of of things, you know, we we don't know what the results are yet, so we don't have anything to uh, to uh, tip our hands with here. But were there any things, and maybe each of you pick one or something. Uh, Anything that surprised you or something that you saw sort of emerging, maybe you, uh, maybe it was like how many entries were in a particular category that kind of stunned you, something along those lines. And how about if I start with you, Matt? Um, for me, the the surprising thing was uh, the number of, of Irish whiskeys. Like that was delightful to see. Um, as for representation going into Tales of the Cocktail, uh, something that's specifically from Ireland was just really, really cool. And it gave us a chance to, to really stretch our legs with what, what is a single pot versus single grain? Uh, what is a, an actual, like a true Irish whiskey and styling? And there, it was just really, really cool to see. What, what do you think is driving that? I mean, that category is making a significant comeback. What do you think is driving that? <laughs> oh, to be honest, um, I'm not really sure. Um, it was, it was just, I- it was delightful to see it come. Um, I'm, I'm sure it has to do with you know a, a post COVID world in which there's a, there's opportunities to expand out market share and branding for like brand Ireland as a whole. Um, but I'm not sure if there is a, a single uh, impetus in this situation. Okay. It was just delightful though. That's all. Yeah, go, go ahead, if, if I can pipe in on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel that, uh, you know, what's going on in, in Ireland now is similar to what happened in America mm-hmm. 10 years ago with a craft explosion. People are seeing, you know, oh, 10 years ago, it was Middleton and that was it. You could get Irish whiskey and it came from Middleton and it had a different label on it, depending on who contracted for the booze. And now there's a, a smattering of craft distilleries that started up about five years ago all across Ireland, some older, some younger there. And um, 
You can't call it whiskey before three years. And a lot of these people just a year or two ago began to be able to release their first whiskeys. And now they're getting whiskeys with a little bit of age on them. And it's it's really showing through. It's also showing through in this uh, experiment and in, in research into historical grain bills that the Irish whiskey distillers are making. It's a it's a really fascinating place to look into in, in whiskey right now. Great. Thank you. Drew, what was your takeaway? What's a surprising takeaway for you? You know, the thing that I'm looking at is I'm seeing the rise um, uh, of two um, two categories um, of, of spirit that have maybe been in the shadow of other larger categories. And that is uh, there was a lot of recognition of rye whiskeys this year, as opposed to a flood of, of, of bourbons. Um, we, and, um, there's also our judges seem to, to make a recognition of, of mezcals, um, this year, whereas tequila has always seemed more popular. So I, I see the rise of these two spirits reflected by the opinions of the judges. Okay. Great. Fantastic. What about you, Wayne? Uh, I think as far as surprises, well, we can't, I guess we can't reveal surprises yet for this year, but last year's surprise was a couple of double gold medalists that we had, which was a non-alcoholic aperitivo and a coconut gin, both of which were exceptional and none of which anyone would have predicted would have, uh, I think, taken a double gold. So it's really good to see that. And, and Drew mentioned earlier on the sort of the creativity in the craft world. And that's sort of reflective of it. I think what we're seeing. The other, the other thing I've really enjoyed seeing is when we look over our results at the top ten and different uh, classes and categories, is the the interspersal of craft with legacy producers, with people who've been making whiskey for 120 years, uh, are now seeing the craft folks are coming up uh, and. and, and producing something of comparable quality. I don't think that was the case 10 years ago. I, I think 10 years ago you could taste through and think, oh, this is legacy, this is craft, this tastes like craft. <laughs> um, There's sort of a green, it, it was experimental that hadn't quite reached a point where it was uh, ultra high quality with, with some notable exceptions. But today uh, there's so much good craft coming out and it's sort of fascinating to be able to taste these blind and realize that somebody who's been open for 15 years is producing something uh, of comparable quality. So the producer has been around for 150 years. So that's been a fascinating evolution, I think, in the last few years. I think that's a really great point. Uh, and I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but uh, the, the winners at New Orleans Bourbon Fest this year, the, the big winner really was Silverback out of Virginia hmm. and a mother-daughter team. And they, they cleaned up on three or four different awards. And so it was interesting just to see a Virginia distiller, but a tiny distiller actually do very well. And this was all blind tasting as, as well. So yeah, point well taken, Wayne. Uh, let me ask you guys one last question. And uh, before we take a break, and then I won't see you guys for a couple weeks, but listeners will hear from you in about five minutes after this. It's a time warp <laughs> thing. Don't ask me to do math. I don't do that stuff on this show. Uh, and I wanted to ask you this question during this space, because I think we'll probably be a little shorter on time, just um, talking about the winners and how everything finalized and went down. With consumers, and I think even with uh, industry professionals, and especially consumers, I'll kind of highlight that here in the United States, we like to put things in little boxes, right? And I always get asked these questions because like, we could just take the world of clear distillates out there on a, a global level, and it's hard to sometimes fit things into certain boxes. And I would just, you know, I think we kind of sometimes do a poor job. People want to say it's a gin. People want to say it's a vodka. People want to say it's a 
Blanco tequila. And then when we get past a few of those things, we start to kind of lose our way and making a connection to people and having them understand what it is. And I know that what we're talking, we've touched on some of this here, but I would just love to hear it not necessarily connected to the competition itself, but just hear the three of your thoughts on that uh, and, and how we continue to grapple and address this huge world of, of spirits out there. I mean, I'll, I'll just highlight, you know, when Henry Price, and we were just mentioning Nikki, his daughter comes to town, just looking at that guy's book is always head scratching to me every year because there's, you know, just how, how the breadth of everything out there, how do you guys see this going and how do you see this competition and, and tales playing a role in all of this? Henry Price is my guru. I, when I grow up, I want to be Henry, <laughs> Henry Price. Price. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Guy loves life, lives it to the fullest. Um, and, uh, really happy, really loves working and comes to work every day with a smile on his face. Great guy. And, um, you know, I, I see, you know, part of me, it's like, you know, seeing the evolution of, of different products, seeing new things come about is, is very interesting to me. And, and just rather than what happened this year, like over the, the past decade, seeing barrel gins going from a, what is this to, well, actually, this is kind of historical to this is really a thing and, and bartenders learning how to work with, uh, barrel gins, depending on where they are from the spectrum of a classic to almost a whiskey and and dealing with all those those cocktails that work so well in a gin you know say martini versus whiskey a manhattan and well what kind of vermouth do you use and um i think that one of them is is really fascinating and i think the uh the extent again over the last decade uh, to way to from where barrel finishing was something exotic and b- bizarre at least in the united states uh versus you know scotch whiskey they've been putting things in oloroso sherry casks forever right. but um you know to see the way that sherry casks cask finishes are evolving and the way that whiskey makers are working with different kinds of of oak to create newer nuanced flavor profiles okay great matt what do you think i think that that the passion has always been there on the craft side and uh with the world today uh we are now seeing a a an almost kind of uh, evangelism of expertise as well as access to interesting new things. And that passion now has, has outlets in different forms. Uh, like we were just talking about with like different kinds of Oak. Um, like everyone's sort of had this sort of mystique of like Mizunara Japanese and such, but now they're starting to pull some like Ariana, the Northwest, just these different Oak strains themselves allow a lot of different variety to occur with a single product. Um, but the, the idea that you can, that you've always had these people who truly care, and not only cared and like just liked it, but like truly loved it. Like these were babies and they're now able to, to bring these products out in a fashion that will allow someone to, to, to pass it around and say, Hey, this is really, really cool. You should try this. And to sort of like almost religiously evangelize about it for a little bit, rather than just pitch it as, as someone would for a sales rep standpoint at a bar is really, really cool. And you start seeing this, this almost kind of co-opting of other people's passions and it's, and it's basically starts spreading. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's I think driving categories for us too. Like we were talking about rye earlier, rye is so fascinating and interesting. You can do a thousand one different things with it. It could be bubble gummy all the way through spicy and mm-hmm. everywhere in between. The people are just just now sort of discovering that because for a long time people didn't get rye for like a hundred years. Rye was sort of a forgotten spirit, 
And it's really, really nice to see that this kind of passion is starting to spread to other people when they're actually playing with it, not as just a, this is a category I can fill with a green label and put it on the shelf so I can have that variety and have an additional skew. But I can have something that's really, really interesting and unique and cool, while at the same time, too, has the same kind of quality chair that we've always wanted it to have, because that sort of like ability to access of expertise to spark it. It's really nice. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And, and Wayne, what about you? What, what would be your thoughts? Uh, just to sort of build on what Matt was saying, there is a lot of creativity and people are trying things. And partly that's not only because they are driven and creative, but also because they have to differentiate themselves in the market. As uh, Dave Pickerel like to say, you can't out Maker's Mark, Maker's Mark. I mean, you could produce a whiskey that's every bit as delicious as Maker's Mark, and you, guess what? You lose because you don't have the marketing, you don't have the, the production scale, uh, you don't have any, you can't compete with Maker's Mark. You have to do something different. But that puts you up in the dilemma. If you do something too different, people say, oh, you're coloring outside the lines. That's a little bit weird. Uh, do you want to go try to create your own category of this, uh, whatever it is that you're making? Or do you want to try to stay color within the line somehow? There's a lot, it's interesting dance to watch that happen. Uh, and I think it's a good evolution. It's just sort of a meritocracy. I think that the ones that do step over the line, color outside the lines and get accepted will continue to go on and others won't. And it's interesting to watch that Darwinian process uh, happen. So it's been intriguing. I mean, now, now we, like as of last year, vodka no longer is defined by the TTB as being tasteless, odorless, colorless. Right. Uh, and so you're starting to see more creativity in vodka. And that sort of has to change for how we approach judging. Because it used to be we'd judge it based on how close it was to a classic vodka. Now there is classic vodka no longer really exists anymore and you can be have a little bit more mouthfeel a little bit a little bit of flavor to it not much but you know now i guess the ttb just defines it as anything distilled over 92 percent off the still and then you can that, that those are your new lines to color with it. and it's been interesting to watch that evolve i mean it's it's always something different it's, it makes this makes our jobs fun great well, you guys, let's do this. Um, we're going to take a pause here. Uh, and as I said, it, for us, it'll be about a two-week pause. For listeners, it's going to be about a 30-second pause. Uh, we'll come back and we'll reconvene and uh, talk about the winners and all that stuff. But uh, up until this point, you guys, thanks so much. And uh, I will see you all in uh, at, at Tales. All right. Friends, are going to yeah, take Brian. Thank, thank you. you. We'll take a little break right. here on the show, friends. And uh, we'll be right back with Matt, Drew, and Wayne. Go figure. Welcome back to the show. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me on the NOLA Drink Show, friends. Happy to have you here as always. And uh, happy to be wrapping up the New Orleans Spirits Competition. Uh, as you know, we're chatting with Drew, Matt, and Wayne. Now, you guys, we're seeing each other again for the first time after about a week, week and a half gap, I think. Listeners yeah. are going, that was about a 10-second gap. Uh, we're all still alive here in the middle of Tales of the Cocktail. At least, uh, speaking for myself, I am uh, by a thread. <laughs> how are you guys doing how are you doing Drew? fresh as a fucking daisy staying hydrated right and the pulse is there the pulse is there good, glad to hear it. and actually it's good you did this drew because now that we're uh we're no longer on the radio 
I don't have to edit that out. Oh, okay. so, oh, oh dear, I was yeah. assuming you would, yeah, you no, know, no, no, yeah. No, no, oh, no. no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the Tales of the Cocktail posterity. Foundation uh, is going to hear this. Oh, that's okay. They've been on, and they, there's a lot of F-bombs that go on. I mean, okay. we know what world we operate in, yeah. so uh, it's fine. So, uh, you guys, it was, a, uh, I think, a great success with the New Orleans Spirits competition this year, and we... Wrapped up with the final judging over the whiskey, agave, rum, and gin categories. Uh, and I, I guess I'll start with, well, why don't we do this, Drew, um, since you have it in front of you. Let's tell people who the, the double gold winners were, just so we get that out of the way. And then we're going to tell people where they can go find the expansive, and I think that's a fair word to use, expansive list of winners yeah. in other categories the, and the rest of the medals and The such. expansive, not expensive. Yeah, yes. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, we had nine double gold uh, metal winning spirits and uh, and many of those also were in fact all of them were best of category I think um, there was the uh, Cutwater Mescal Hoven uh, Allegheny, Allegheny Distilling Company uh, Maggie's Farm Falernum uh, Rum Clement, Clement um, Rum Clement Blanc uh, Rolling Fork Spirits The Lost Cask Collection Barbados, 17 year. Um, Heaven Hill brands Deep Eddy Lemon Vodka plus Soda. Um, Kings County Distillery Empire Rye, uh, Pinhook Bourbon Vertical Series Rye, 7 year. Um, Balcones Distilling Texas One Single Malt, and Heaven Hill Distillery Bernheim Original Kentucky Straight Wheat Whiskey. Okay. Very exciting. Um, how about, it, I'll throw it to you, Matt and Wayne, feel free to take turns here. W what were impressions uh, with the double gold winners and just sort of the overall quality of everything? Uh, the quality this year was absolutely amazing. Um, it surprised us, really. Uh, there were, you, in these kinds of judgings, you always sort of expect that there to be a bit of a range. And the things that stood out as double golds, like, really, truly were amazing. I mean, they had to get a 95% or above to, to get there in the first place. The judges had to love it. And a lot of these things uh, went through almost a, a couple of heats. Some of these things actually had to get rejudged and reviewed just to make sure that these things were what they were. Like, there, there were some questions as to, as to, like, what the percentages were on these things. And so there was re actual requests for review some, from some of the anchor judges. Hmm. So, like, these things were almost like a universal acclaim that they were that good. Okay. Awesome. Wayne, and, and feel free to add to what Matt was saying, but also let's talk about the, the way the judging was structured, because we were talking about this now with the, for the finals being an, an open judging and kind of how that all went down and what that meant and, and how it plays into what matches. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was the uh, first time we'd tried this. First time, I'm not sure, I think right. anyone has tried this. We haven't heard of anybody else who's done a live public judging. Some have done them online uh, through streaming, but we had a group of about two dozen audience members come in and sit at tables. They had the same flights in front of them of six spirits that the judges had. There's a 15 minute period of silence where you couldn't try to influence your neighbors or the judges by making any kind of noises. You or did not tell the woman sitting next to me that was not enforced because she kept talking to me. But anyway, go on, Wayne. Sorry. Well, uh, I had my ruler. I could have slapped her on her hand. But, uh, the uh, it, so that was that was 
really interesting. We weren't sure how that was going to work. We were a little afraid. I mean, there's lots of outcomes that could have been not so positive. Like judges might just not want to speak too publicly about what they were doing because they would be on record and then they would be revealing the product and they didn't want to be known as trashing or praising uh, another spirit that they have previously decided they didn't like. Uh, but they were all very open. I, um, I spoke with uh, Dale DeGroff afterwards and he said he thought it was really smart because he said it made the judges work harder. He said, <laughs> yeah. he said, normally we'll just go through it, but when people, you have 25 people looking at you as you announce your notes and what you liked and what you didn't like, it makes you really focus in and be much more articulate and clear on what your, your thoughts are. And I think overall for the competition itself, I, <clears throat> feedback I had from some of the audience members was that it was great because so many people will sit at home and taste. Even if they do blind tasting with friends, they'll go, you know, this is the notes I got, this is what I like, this is what I didn't like, but they have nothing to compare it to. Here they could get instant feedback, like here you have some of the top uh, spirits tasters in the country telling you what they thought, and you can instantly compare your notes with theirs. So there's sort of an interesting calibration, I think, that a lot of the audience got, which is why I think there's demand to expand it next year to allow more people into the room. Oh, and I've heard good news. You're getting moved. You're getting bumped up to a bigger room uh, next year. That's the promise. That's the promise. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got it on record here. Okay. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> well, let me come back this way to you, Matt, because I think it, uh, one of the things I found very challenging I was in the gin session, just so uh, listeners know. And, um, you know, of the six that we tasted, they're, they're all so good at that point. You know, and I've done some other judging and different things like that. And lots of times, you know, there's you judge a handful and there's some dogs in the bunch. And so it's kind of easy to wean it down to one or two that are up there. The, I, I actually, I think I told you this, I didn't score anything because I didn't have to because I was an audience member and I didn't want the pressure. But I mean, that's, that's a challenge, was everything's so good. So just to differentiate at that point. Yeah. I mean, and just like, I mean, it's gotta, it's a challenge for the judges, I think. And, and how do you guys, I don't even really know what the question is. It's just, it's just amazing to me how they were able to discern this. Well, I mean, that, that's why we get as, as high quality judges as we can. People who are experts in the field who've been doing this type of thing for as long as they have. I mean, at, at our panels this year were some of the most experienced, like, grand panel type individuals that you could get people who can make a final determination on what amounts to a horse race between six things that are absolutely amazing mm -hmm. I mean, and, and these things got there again because they were just that kind of immaculate mm -hmm. and so it, and i'll throw this one to you drew then because we're talking about all these being very good that's true but we saw uh, all six of them were pretty stylistically different for the most part. i'm talking about the gens just because yeah, that's what, yeah. uh, so I think even, you know, you do get to a point where you're comparing apples to oranges. So are we, we're looking for, what are the minor differences that we're finding that would set one apart above the others? Yeah, I think, you know, at, at this point, we're, like you said, all looking, we're looking at all exceptional spirits and the judges are just going through them and going, hey, what's exemplary here? And I, I think the interesting thing that I noted in in not just the gin panel that you sat on, but all four panels, was the ability of those judges to pick out minor flaws and the differentiation between what are really, really exceptional good spirits and uh, the way the gin, the, uh, the gin panels 
palettes worked to pick up minor little nuances and botanicals that that I never would have caught, mm-hmm. which is why I'm not sitting back there. Those, <laughs> those guys are doing it, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and uh, Wayne, to you then, uh, we were talking about since the gin was the only one that I saw, but uh, how, how were the, the other three? How did they kind of play out? It was, did each of them sort of have their own vibe and own character? They did. <clears throat> the rum panel was a little raucous. Uh, we had some very funny judges. Jeff Barry seemed to have set the tone on that one and <laughs> picked up by Ian Burrell and uh, Sam Kong and, and Julio Cabrera. Uh, it, they, uh, they seemed to embrace the dating metaphor and which rums they wanted to date a second date, which one they take home to their mother, which one they didn't get a good night kiss from. <laughs> it was it was fairly entertaining, but it was also fascinating on the rum panel that it was the, I believe it was the only panel that was un- unanimous on which was the number one. Every one of the judges picked the same rum uh, as being the number one, and I believe the audience yes. did as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was the uh, Rolling Fork um, Lost Cask Barbados uh, rum, which was quite amazing. And it sort of came out from nowhere. Nobody really heard of it, which is fun. Great thing about the blind judging. You've got people like that, very young uh, importers in this case. And then you've got like uh, Heaven Hill with their ready to drink cocktails. So you've got everyone in the same basket, whether they're new and young and still trying to figure it out or whether they've been around for a century or more. Wayne, real quick back to you, just since you mentioned the, the ready to drink cocktails, that's a pretty evolved, or I'll say an evolving category still, but uh, what do you think about it now? I, uh, I, think, I think they're great. I think, I mean, I, I don't see them particularly as an alternative to a bar drink. I see them as an alternative to a beer at a tailgate or a beer at a picnic. Uh, and and it, for a long time, it was basically flavored seltzers, and now they're becoming much more sophisticated and interesting. They've got depth, they've got intrigue, they've got a nice finish to them. So I think it's been a great category to watch that evolve and develop. Was this the first year you guys had that as a category, or has that been a category before? First year. First year. For, this was the first year? Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. Matt, to you, um, any surprises that stand out to you? Of I mean, it was such an interesting mix of like there were new, like Wayne touched on this, you guys said this, you know, some young people, older people, well-established brands. It was kind of all over the map, but anything jump out at you? Um, there were some spirits that were just absolutely wild that were like fantastically made expressions of that automatically like took you to a different place in time. Uh, there was a Nishtamal spirit, uh, the Nishta, and it, it tasted like a, like almost kind of like a sweet tamale. And it, literally, I had a like a, an actual visceral flashback to the first time I'd ever had one before. Wow. It was it was a bizarre, unique, wonderful, magical experience. Um, and of, of the stuff that that made it this far too, that even got here for our our championship rounds and such, some of these things were truly surprising in just how nuanced and elegant that they were. Like the first time when we're tasting through some stuff in the back, it's we're not judging; we're just trying to get things flooded and ready to go for the judges to actually go at it. And so we're not really like sitting down and quantifying these things, but actually watching them taste and tasting through and seeing what the facial expressions and what kind of emotions that they're having, just watching them do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you start tasting through these things yourself. It's not just purely subjective as well as someone possibly like influencing your, your reactions. It's they're opening up your eyes to these are some nuances that you did not see the first time. And it was really, really cool to see how some of these guys were tasting through some things, particularly, you know, rum and whiskey as well. But uh, the agave guys, some of the, the notes that they were pulling out, uh, particularly on some of the, the mezcals, it, it was absolutely just a beautiful thing to watch. Very I thought cool. that agave panel was just poetry, hearing oh. those guys talk. It was and just amazing the way they all came at it from, from different perspectives 
perspectives, whether it's Emma, Jansen pulling out like the specific varietal mm-hmm. of agave that they used and wow. being right, or or Dan Farber talking about distilling from this thirty thousand foot level and and bringing it down to earth. It was just a, a really uh, every one of them, Dale, and they they um, they all brought a unique perspective and a lot of eloquence to their uh, comments and tasting notes. Very interesting. That's amazing. Anything jump out of you, Wayne? Uh, again, I, I will circle back to rum, as I've been known to do. Uh, <laughs> and I think that, yeah, the rum category has lagged in some ways in the years because of it, the, the producers have been trying to figure things out, and they finally did get it figured out. This year, the rum was so consistently strong, I thought, throughout. I was very impressed with that. Uh, and also some of the, the specialty cocktails, specialty drinks, I thought, were, came in very well. Uh, as well, like the absinthe mm-hmm. uh, that we have, it's had wonderful notes to it. And, you know, now absinthe has come and gone. It seems to be now plateauing at, at sort of a base level, and base level is very high. Okay, great. Uh, there was a shochu winner. Was that... Um Yes, it, I can't remember what they won it, as Drew. They were they were the specialty spirit of the year. Okay. So uh, you know, and we, and we haven't discussed the uh, spirits of the year yet, which are our best of class. Yeah. So uh, why, why don't we that, do those? Yeah. Yeah. That that shochu was um, the producer is Sanwa Shurui, and it is uh, Ichiko Shochu Saiten. Um, yeah, and our, these are our, our best of class. It's like our, our whiskey of the year was Balcones Distilling Texas One Single Malt, an utterly spectacular blend by uh, the, the team there. Um, Agave Spirit of the Year, Samson and Surrey sent us Mezcal Vago Ensemble en Barro. Um, the Gin of the Year, um, High Clare Castle, High Clare Castle Gin. Rum of the year, as as we mentioned before, was the Rolling Fork Spirits, Lo- the Lost Cask Collection, Barbados, 17-year, um, Vodka of the Year, Safe House Distilling Company, Teller Genuine Vodka. It's a new startup distillery in, in New Mexico, and the first time we'd ever seen their products. They also had a, a barrel gin that, that made it to the final round in the, the gins. Uh, on the other hand, Brandy of the Year, no surprise, Maison Ferrand, mm-hmm. Ferrand SDA, Selection des Anges, uh, second time as Brandy of the Year for us, and um, just everything Maison Ferrand does is, is, you know, from their rums and their gins, it's a really wonderful, wonderfully creative and quality house. Um, Liqueur of the Year, um, I think it's a fan favorite here, Allegheny Distilling uh, Company, who make um, Maggie's Farms. Rum, and this is Maggie's Farm Falernum, uh, won our liqueur of the year. Uh, the RTD of the year, ready to drink cocktail, uh, was Thomas Ashburn Craft Spirits After Hours Espresso Martini, and um, our No and Low uh, Elixir of the year, um, again for the second year running, our, our non alcoholic was produced by Bark and Bitter, and it's Novara Aperitivo. Okay. And uh, for listeners out there, just so you know, we're going to have a, a link uh, on the show notes. You can go to NolaDrinks.com and see the latest episode right at the top of the website. And uh, you'll be able to click to get to the New Orleans Spirits Competition website and see a list of all of the winners because there's a whole bunch more. You guys awarded all kinds of, you know, various colors of medals all the way down the different categories. Uh, guys, before we close this out uh, real quick, um, 
what are we looking forward to next year? I mean, we mentioned the bigger room. We got that on record. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, bigger, better, um, what are we thinking? Bigger, yes, better, yes. <clears throat> We're hoping for uh, for even more rankings. We'd like to get more people coming in, getting involved, and uh, putting their products up against their peers, and putting the smaller guys putting their products up against the big guys. And the big guys are also innovating and producing a lot more limited expressions. We'd love to get more of them involved as well. Great. I want to add to that, Matt, at all? I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the analogy of these things being a horse race, so much as it is everything being judged against itself. But the truth of the matter is, is that as the as the the industry is is upping its game i want to just see more of those things that can actually compete against each other in those horse race categories where we do get to those final championship rounds i want to see that um i want to have live jugglers um, <laughs> <laughs> just just in the background keep our judges entertained and distracted while they're fire there's some fire in there maybe. Uh, this this is nola man <laughs> um but, but honestly, I, I want to be able to, to see what it's like to have uh, an expanded field in these things, too, where we can actually throw more things at our judges. I want to throw our judges for a loop. I, okay. want, them, I want them to be surprised. You know, Neil uh, Bodenheimer, a good friend of all of ours there, I mean, he did have a sport coat on, so I'd like to see him sweat a little more. <laughs> <laughs> so next time it's not 65 degrees in the room, it's like 72. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and Drew, last to you, uh, please feel free to add. And then would you tell people uh, the, the website and how to connect with you guys? And, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, you know, and I, I just really got to double down on what Wayne says. I think as people realize the platform that they, they get on receiving an award at Tales of the Cocktail, where we've got, you know, approximately 15,000 attendees, mostly bartenders. It's just uh, for the spirits producers. That's, that's your ticket to the market. And um, uh, if you want to see the winners, if you want to see who they are, our uh, website is www.nolaspirits.comp. Um, Nola Spirits Comp. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was enunciating so clearly. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes, friends. Yeah. <laughs> Nolaspiritscomp.com slash here's the hard part spirits hyphen of hyphen the hyphen year hyphen no i'm i'm reading the spirits of the year page just go to it's, the web page and just go top. to the web page yeah. it's in the nav bar since i looked at it this morning there is a thing that says awards right at the top so yeah yeah, well, yeah. Take you where you yeah. It, it, it is slash awards hyphen 23 awesome Perfect. Okay. Yeah. You guys, thanks very much. It was thank a you. pleasure, and thank you for involving me in this. And uh, hopefully, let's, let's do it all again next year. Oh, we'll back. Thank, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Thanks, it's man. a delight. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Brief musical interlude, friends, and I'll be back to close things out. everybody hey thanks for joining me here on the nola drink show this time around happy to be back in a post tales world hope you enjoyed that conversation with drew matt and wayne was a lot of fun a lot of fun learning about the new orleans spirits competition look forward to what they do next year it sounds like it's going to be a bigger fandango than it was this time hey i mentioned a couple upcoming shows at the top of this show to be on the lookout for next time around we're going to be chatting with author 
John Demers, and John wrote, John's written a whole bunch of cookbooks and really cool stuff. He's been a writer for a long time, but most recently for uh, the Louisiana Press, Louisiana State University Press, excuse me, part of their New Orleans Iconic Cocktail Series. John wrote a book on the Vucare cocktail, and we've uh, we've interviewed uh, recently Marielle Sanji, who wrote a book on the absinthe frappe, and uh, not all that long ago, uh, my friend Sue Strachan, who wrote a book on the Cafe Brulo, so you can check those shows out. Just check out NolaDrinks.com. But anyway, we'll be uh, yeah chatting with John about that. And then we just taped a show very recently uh, over at Sukeban, the very fine sushi restaurant in Uptown New Orleans on Oak Street. And we're talking about sake and sushi. Go figure. And we chat with my friend Sean Williams, who is a sake expert, also a Turning Tables grad, by the way. Uh, Sean was on our Turning Tables show, which was out not all that long ago, just before Tales as well. She is now a mentor as part of that program. And then my new friend we also meet, which is Jackie Blanchard. And Jackie is the chef and owner of the aforementioned Suke Bond. So really good fun show coming up there for you to be on the lookout for that. I know we're going to be doing a show on old fashioned week, I think coming up and got some other things in the works for you. So be sure to check that stuff out. Just a reminder, uh, if you want to learn more about tales of the cocktail and all the good stuff they do, tales of the check that one out. And then also the new, Orleans, excuse me, the new Orleans spirits competition is NOLA spirits comp. Dot com. You'll see a listing of the awards there and all that stuff. But if you go to NolaDrinks.com and you look at the show notes for the latest episode, I got links to all this stuff there for you to check out. And you can check us out. We're at NolaDrinks on Instagram and Facebook. All right, friends, we'll be back next time around talking about the Vucare cocktail with author John Demare. So, hey, remember, until next time, be kind to one another, use your turn signal, put your shopping cart up, and when you're supposed to, hit reply all. Cheers, y'all.